Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Hello, welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. We're happy to have you here, at least your ears here. I'm Prue Warren. I'm a reasonably unlettered author. And thankfully, I am here with a co-host who knows a lot more than me. I am Meredith Bond, and I've been doing this for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Today, Mary, um, last week I said we were going to talk about something else, but I got it wrong. So this week... Actually, Um, I got it wrong, Prue. You don't need to take the blame. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, This week, we're going to talk about multiple POVs. And of course, POV stands for point of view. So this is whether or not an author can skillfully handle having their narration pass back and forth between usually two in a romance novel, two points of view. But sometimes you get a little flip into a third or even a fourth. And I'm thinking of... um, George R. R. Martin, who who every chapter is by someone else until you're getting 16 points of view and it's very confusing, but an immensely gripping yarn. So tell me your thoughts on multiple POVs. Okay, I'm going to do this because um, the reason why I had actually suggested this topic was because I have a client, a coaching client who also writes fantasy, just like Martin does. Uh-huh. So I, I almost think that this is something specific to fantasy authors. Honestly, I could be dead wrong. But you mean it, having multiple, multiple or more than yeah, one? Yeah, having, having many points of view. Okay. You said that J.R. Martin had how many points of view? Oh, God. Every character gets his own, like six, Every, like 15 or 16. It's just endless. Okay. This author had a book that they published before they met me <laughs> that had 24 points. Of oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yes. Okay. First of all, the book was way too long to begin with. It was like almost 200,000 words. <laughs> yeah, but it's only way too long if it doesn't engage the reader's interest, right? I mean, you can't automatically say there's a limit to how long a book can be. That's true. And fantasy books do tend to run longer. Right, right. But he was was promoting this as a YA. That's a lot for a, for a young adult. Well, exactly. I mean, okay, well, I I would say he has an uphill battle there. But there are plenty of, and in the fantasy world, man, there it's nerd territory. When you're in YA fantasy, you're into nerds who want to dive deep into a book. So I think the question is not, is that too much? The question is, how skillfully did he handle it? Was, right. it, was it worthwhile to have that many points of view and that long a book? I have suggested to him that he split the book in half. Better for sales anyway. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and he'll make more money. Because he's selling two books instead of one. Right. right. And 
I suggested that he reduce the number of points of view down to the bare minimum, which is still four or five points of view. Right. But 24 was just well, but, but over I know the top. You can't, I know you can't out him on a podcast, but I, I, I might just like George R.R. R. Martin handles his 15 or 16 characters so skillfully that when I turn the page and hit a new POV and I'm so frustrated that now I've left Tyrion behind within a couple of paragraphs, he's drawn me into the next one. So there is frustration in it, but if you're good, it's delicious. It's just delicious. Okay. Here's a question. When you delve into a new point of view, does that point of view character have a very distinctive voice separate from the previous character's voice well, or I'll any other you. character's voice. You know, here's what I think is interesting because I think it really depends on if you're writing in the first person or the third person. Ah. George R. R. Martin writes in the third person. He's, he says he went here. He did that. So when his POVs change, the narrative voice is identical. The narrative voice hasn't changed. It's the plot that has changed. But there's a certain constancy in that that helps the book have continuity. If you're writing in the first person, if you're saying, I went here, I did that, when the POV changes, the language and rhythm need to change to reflect the brain that's thinking it, I think. I agree. I think you're absolutely right. My client was always writing in the first person point of view. Mm. And I don't think that the vocabulary that the voice that he used mm-hmm. changed dramatically. There, that I think, I think that could definitely be a problem. If every character sounds the same and they're all in the first person, then you have a missed opportunity. Right. And for example, some of his characters were 14-year-old girls. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I see where you're going. And um, some of the other characters were um men, grown men in the army. Right. You would expect that they would speak very differently. Right, right. Right? Yes, you they would. They would use very different vocabulary to describe basically the same thing. Right. Right? Right. Because uh, an army, someone in the army, a military man, will have very precise language. Right. They, they, will, they will use much and bigger words. Unemotional. And, Emotion is a too risky for someone in the military. Right. Or or it actually, it depends on, on the situation. So, for example, um, the, the military man whose point of view we're keeping, he is dealing with a military situation and his wife. And so when he's speaking to his wife and dealing with her, he's emotional. When he's dealing with the military situation, he's sort of separated from it, right? He's, he's and do you less think emotional. that's appropriate? Because yes. I think many military men have a very hard time handling the emotions of a relationship because they have to be unemotional in their occupation. It's just hard to keep both of those voices going in your head. It's he's hard a- for an author. It's hard for a human. Yeah. No, he's a, 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 an emotional person begin with. So he fought in a war and ended up 
fighting with children because there were no, because all of his men were killed and the only people who could help him fight this war were children. I've seen this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. I think that's a good trope. I think that's good. But let me ask you about, because you've used a phrase that I've really found fascinating, untrustworthy narrator. Mm. So when you're writing in multiple POVs, it's entirely possible that your 14-year-old girl is not only lying to you, but she's lying to herself. You can't or necessarily know herself. Or doesn't know herself. Right. So it's entirely possible that your multiple POV challenges include the fact that not all of your characters are necessarily going to tell the honest truth. That's true. That is true. But but isn't I but there's a there's a possibility there. If the 14-year-old girl narrates a scene and then the 50-year-old army general looks back on the same scene with such a different point of view, now you have the opportunity to say, one of these two has seen this incorrectly. Who do you trust? Who do you who do you think is the or more it, it doesn't necessarily even need to be incorrectly. It it's just it's the way they see things, right? Because an army man, a military man may see it more dispassionately. And the 14-year-old girl will, will come at it from that emotional point of view. Right. And right. also from her own naivety. But I do think that that is one of the real glorious benefits of using multiple POV is that you can involve the reader in saying these are two very different interpretations of the same event. Right. And does that, can you, can you, the author use that skillfully enough to create the tension that propels your story along? Did the 14 year old girl hallucinate the fact that there was a dog on the battlefield? The army general insists there wasn't who's telling the truth. Was she a nut or is there really a dog out there? (laughs) <laughs> I just think that there's that multiple POVs in a romance is usually done in the heroes and the heroines voices. And you can get a little bit of, of uh, who sees things more accurately. But when you're in a fantasy world where you have so many POVs, there's really a lot of potential for disaster as a writer, but, but possibility too. It's true. It's true. But I found it really, it was interesting because the reason why he chose to write all of these different points of view was to show things happening where the main characters were not there. Oh, I see. So, okay, well, that's an interesting point because... Do those things need to be shown in person or can we see the main character experiencing learning about the battle on Titan four? Does, do we have to have the battle scene? Exactly. Exactly. And so that was the, the way that I approached it with my client was why do we have this scene to begin with? Is it important enough to show this? And if the answer is no, then we just delete it. And if the answer is yes, then how can we show it from somebody, from the point of view of one of the main characters? 
or have them learn about it after the fact. Right. And how they experience that, what it means to them. That's really, that's really potent. That comes back to, in an earlier podcast, you were talking to me about, about deep POV, Mm -hmm. not just what happened, but how did that, how did that event affect the narrator and how did they phrase it? How do you, how do you look at it that makes it richer? So multiple points of view would hamper your ability to allow the reader closely into one mind. Exactly. And that's what I think the reason why I think having so many points of view will actually hurt the story because the most for me and for a lot of people, the most wonderful thing about reading is that you can lose yourself and into the book. So I am no longer Meredith Bond. I am now Captain Calvert. Right. And I can become him, put myself in his situation, in his shoes, in his mind, and experience this world through his point of view. I identify with him. I agree. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And here's the, Here's the here's the loop. George R. R. Martin is writing a political. It's the, it's his it's his Game of Thrones. There mm-hmm. is no one main character. There are not two main characters. They're all vying for the throne, right? And and uh, often they die. So there goes <laughs> there goes another POV. Didn't make it to the throne. He's out. Um, <laughs> but you're right. If the if you if your book has a main character or a few main characters, then you run the risk of drawing readers out of the book by using the POV of someone who is not a main character. Right. By using the POV of somebody who's really just a very minor passing character. Right. To explain something that happens when none of the main characters are there. I don't think that, I think that that takes the reader out of the book. I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. I've read some thrillers that are mostly narrated by the hero or the heroine, but every now and then they slip in a chapter from the point of view of the killer. Uh And I think that that is fascinating and useful, but must never be overplayed. You can't decide you want to be in the head of the killer all the time. I would I think that what they do, what they use it for is to just show a little motivation or a little crazy. Right. And then go back to the hero. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually that was one thing that that we were talking about was when we were deciding which main characters to keep as point mm-hmm. of view characters, uh-huh. whether we could keep in you know, the very, very short little scenes that are from a side character's point of view. So sort of a, an amuse-bouche. Uh, uh, exactly. Yes, right. exactly. And I <laughs> said that, that that was fine because that character only has this tiny little scene and only has like two of these tiny little scenes in the entire book of 100,000 right. words. So it doesn't really take the reader out for too long. 
Well, but one of the things that can be very useful in doing one of these little, these little, just little tastes, this little soup saw of character J right. um, is the character J can turn around and look at the main character and make an observation about the main character's actions, appearance, intentions that the main character maybe hasn't been able to say themselves. Well, and also the way he uses it is to allow the reader to understand the villain. Oh, yeah. Understanding the villain, very powerful. Right. Because the villain is a a strange anomaly anomaly, um, (laughs) for for the hero. And it, it's a creature that the hero has never encountered before, doesn't know how to deal with, doesn't know the rules of, of how this creature acts, behaves, why they do what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. And so these, these short little snippets in that creature's mind gives us more hints as to what and how they are. Good. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. that. I think that's I think that is powerful. Now, when you think of multiple POVs in the in the genre of romance, yeah. I think one of the reasons to do it is to be able to look at the other person. I mean, I don't I, you know the, the the beginner mistake is to begin your book by looking in the mirror. Yeah. I saw in front of me a lovely woman with cascading blonde hair, um, <laughs> which is you know, you're wasting, you're wasting my time. But the, but the guy can look at her and say, holy smokes, that's enough hair to gather up, right? And hold into a fierce ponytail while I'm coming at her from behind, right? I mean, you can, yeah. <laughs> however, however you do your book, he can see her and she can see him in ways that allow you into the emotion as opposed to just a physical description, you know? Yes, I agree. and. Also, the the nice thing about having two points of view in a romance is that you get both sides of the story because in a romance, really, you've got two main characters. Right. And, and you really want to, to get to know and experience the story through both of their eyes. Right. Right. I think that's exactly now it it makes it a richer story. It does make it a richer story, especially because both characters have to have flaws. Both characters have to have backstories. Both characters have to have evolutions and hopefully find what they're missing in the other person to become a complete person. Let me ask you this. And this is a bit of a challenge for you. You may need to research this. Stories were originally written originally. (laughs) Well, I'm thinking of Jane Austen. Her okay. stories are written from one point of view. When did we start doing two POVs? Good question. Georgette Hare. It's all Georgette Hare. I was about to say Georgette Hare does more than one point of view, doesn't she? I think she does. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking. Yeah. Grand Sophie. I think it's all from the Grand Sophie. I can't you think it's remember. all from Sophie's point of view? Well, he comes I know. I know that I read the, the Tollbooth this past summer and it was there were definitely two points of view there was the uh-huh. hero and the heroine both had points of view <laughs> the toll gate it's, it's so interesting i think probably we have to look back at you know theater as what's lasted so long did aristophanes have monologues from two different people or were they all just one person perhaps 
perhaps the the option to pass the narrative back and forth between two main characters has been going on for a long time. Yeah, because I mean, just thinking about Greek, ancient Greek theater, the really fascinating thing I found when I studied Greek theater was that you had the hero's point of view who would give this great monologue and then he would exit and you would get the chorus's point of view. Oh, that's interesting. Right? And so uh, things that the the hero wouldn't know, the chorus stepped in and laid it all bare for the audience. Oh, so interesting. Right? Saying, isn't it funny? He doesn't realize that this woman he's fallen in love with and is sleeping with is his mother. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> Eddie. <laughs> so that's fascinating. I, you know, I've only published five books, so my my uh, my scope is very small. But all five of them are multiple POVs. How many POVs? Two. No, the first one, sit in the peanut butter cup, delves occasionally into the brain of the little old lady. Yes, it does. And but those are actually really fun scenes because she is an unreliable narrator. She is an unreliable narrator. That's exactly right. Unreliable. I had untrustworthy, but you're right. Unreliable is the right phrase. Do you ever, have you ever written a single POV? A single POV? Yeah. Have I? Goodness, that's a good question. And wouldn't it be a challenge to do it? It would be. It actually, it really is. I don't think that I have, because even the fantasies that I wrote have the heroine or hero's point of view and the villain's point of view. And so actually the heroine's point of view is in the first person and the villain's point of view is in the third person. You know, I'm just thinking about um, Pride and Prejudice, for example, which does have multiple POVs because there are scenes between Mr. Darcy and you know, the, the the pretty boy that we, that she's not there. Right. 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 So there have to be multiple POVs. There are there. I was thinking about that too. I was thinking that there are. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are. Yeah. So I'm but, just trying to, I'm tr- trying to figure out if there are any books I can think of that are single POV. Well, this, this same client has written a trilogy where there is just one single POV. And in fact, he's going to be publishing that next week or the week after. And I'm going to be wow. promoting it because wow, all right, it, it, it's a totally fun book. It's fantasy. It's it's not quite young adult, but well, you know, by the time it's, this it's airs, he'll be out. So tell us the name and the author. Oh, okay. Um, the author is actually two authors. It's David Hockhalter and Tom Cripeau. Oh, I know Tom Crepo. That's lovely. Yes, you do. He is a member of the Washington Romance Writers. Yes, he is. And so I've been working with with David and more steadily. And they have written a fantasy. I split it up into a trilogy because it was so very long. So it's a continuing story spread out over three books. Nice. And the first book is called Healer's Awakening. Okay. The second right. book 
is no, called that's enough. They've got enough. They've got enough promotion. Healer's okay. Awakening. That's where Healer's we start. Awakening. And listeners, Healer's Awakening. Go look Healer's that up. Healer's Awakening. Like fantasy. It is the story of a young woman coming into herself, coming into her own. And nice. she she's it's so much fun. It it's sort of it's sort of King Arthurish. That's out that's outstanding. Sounds like fun. Okay, I'm it thinking loads about of fun. single POVs. And here's the instance when you have a single POV, a memoir. Well, of course. That's a single POV. And maybe that, is- that sort of establishes the single voice is the memoir or the autobiography or the biography. So there you go. There, there is an op- if you if you're writing a single POV, even if it's not a memoir and true to life, perhaps the opportunity is to think of it as a memoir of your character, uh, because then you won't accidentally slip into somebody else's voice halfway through the book. What about mysteries? Mysteries are usually single POV. Oh, that's nice. Well, unless you include scenes the from the killers. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. But frequently, you only have the detective or the cop or, you know. I'm whoever. so I'm so focused on romance that what I'm thinking of romantic suspense and you often get the same murder mystery but there's a him and a her voice. Right. But so, in in like Tom Classic. Clancy and right. and right and books like that, you get just one single point of view. <laughs> I wonder. I'm about to say something rude. It's possible <laughs> that it is male dominated genres that have single point of view, and female dominated genres that have multiple points of view, because the female brain wants to know what somebody else is thinking, and the male brain just wants to know what I think. That's kind of rude. That's a rude thing to think. And very sexist of you. Very, very sexist, but I think there might be something there. (laughs) I'm not going to argue with you. Okay. You're very wise. Back slowly away. Keep your hands away from your gun. Yep. That's right. All right. So uh, what other thoughts do you have on multiple POVs? Have I interrupted you so often that you've lost your train of thought? No, but um, you did bring up something that I also wanted to point out, which is that for the thing about multiple POVs is that I would want each point of view character to have their own personal story arc within the book. I agree. I agree. Including villains. Villains need to have an arc too. Absolutely. Completely agree. Under the the Joss Whedon theory that every villain thinks he's the hero. That's right. Right. Yes. And so the, the idea that you would have a scene from some secondary character's point of view, merely because the hero isn't there just totally i have got i have a problem with that because that secondary character doesn't have a complete story arc they are just there to show us what's happening where the when the character the hero isn't there but they need if you have a point of view a scene from somebody else's point of view i think they need a complete story arc okay i'm thinking of here's a book that is more skillful than you or I will ever be, Sophie's Choice by William Styron. 
mm-hmm. which is unbelievably wrenching. It's just an incredible book. The book is written from the point of view of a secondary character. Sophie and Nathan are the primary characters, and Stingo is this voice who's taking it all in. He has his own narrative arc. It, he does move it along, but there's no doubt that the primary characters are not the ones who speak. And nothing is experienced in that book that doesn't come directly through Stingo's eyes. So I'm thinking that if you're very, very extraordinarily skillful, you can have multiple POVs where the narrator is not a primary character. That's true. You can. Good luck. Good luck on that one. <laughs> but wait, is there are there multiple POVs though? Or is everything told from the narrator's point of view? Okay, I've just opened to a random page in the middle. This is page 301 in my copy. And it's Stingo speaking. And the line says, Poland is a beautiful, heart-wrenching, soul-split country in which, in many ways, parenthesis, I came to see through Sophie's eyes and memory that summer and through my own eyes in later years, resembles or conjures up images of the American South. So just a brief glimpse in here when 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 we learn of Sophie's background, it's because she's telling Stingo the story. When we learn of Nathan's background, it's because one of Nathan's family members has come to Stingo to say, you know, he's unwell mentally. You don't know that from that. You never get into Nathan's head and you only have what Sophie tells you. Um, so you only have a single point of view. Single point of view. Single point of view in a book as wrenching, emotional, and magnificent as any book I have ever read in my life. So isn't The Great Gatsby also that way? Yeah, I think The Great Gatsby is also that way. I think that's right. Because you also told from a narrator's point of view. A narrator's point of view when he's not a primary character in the romance. Right. Wow, that's really interesting. But but you know, reader be warned. This is not for the faint of heart. This, this is, this is. Uh, I think that's high level stuff. I think that's hard to do. Yeah, I agree. Because in in both those cases, the reader, the the narrator is also having its own arc and is also experiencing both cases. It's guys. He also has his own progression. He also has what he learns and how he evolves and what lifts the blinders from his eyes. He's been he's been not seeing the truth this whole time. Right, Great Gatsby starts out with him seeing the lights on the dock of Daisy's home, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, they're so wealthy, they're so lovely, they're so happy. And by the end of the book, you realize she's she's holding out for the love that's gone. She's it's, it's just desperation. She's, right. He he has his own evolution, as does Stingo in Sophie's Choice. So, you know, you so can once do again, single point of view. Multiple point of view, traditional for romances, but this bizarre, you have a narrator and two main characters, neither of whom is the narrator. There's that option also. Right. But, oh boy. But the you point, be a good writer. the point is, is that every person, every point of view has a complete story arc. And every point of view has to matter. And every point of view has to matter. And so when you are writing multiple points of view, you have to keep that in mind, right? And so, and good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the one thing we have we have not focused much on the fact that the voice 
especially if you're in the first person, your voice really does need to change. It's cadence, it's uh, language, it's imagery. You still need to make sure that your narrator, that if someone opens the book in the middle, by reading the words, they can figure out who's speaking. Yeah. And that's actually really hard to have a completely different voice mm-hmm. or a, a slight or a, a different voice mm-hmm. within a book to mm-hmm. be able to so that your reader knows who is whose point of view you're there in. I do think it can be comparatively subtle. Um, yes. In my in my in my second book. I had a I had an FBI agent and in my editing round I went back and took out extraneous language from him mm-hmm. so that his language was simple and clear and very direct. Her language was much more flowery, her language had much more adjectives, more imagery. So I think that sort of helped to solidify in the reader's brain who was speaking at any one time. And that's a fairly obvious difference between the two characters and it's unsubtle but I'm a beginning writer so but it works well I hope it works yeah yeah it does I like to think about who what's important to a character and and the words choice that they use the similes that they use depends on who they are right on what's important to them what they notice and what how how they compare what they see to you know other things so like um in uh, in a hand for the duke the heroine is a modiste she makes dresses and so she sees the world with color and right. how colors you know, react with people and and play off of people and how their clothing is important. And that's the way she sees the world. The hero doesn't notice clothes at all, except when the heroine points them out to her. And so um, and so that's how I distinguish them based on on interest and and experience. Right. I think that's I think it's really important. I think that's really important. And yeah. you can do it in the editing round. Go ahead and write your damn book. Write yeah. it in a single voice, switching from characters, and then go back in in your editing round. You don't have to do it the first time. Do it in your no. editing round. Yeah. And it's really hard to do the first time. I mean, you have it has to be very deliberate. Right. So don't panic. <laughs> next week, do we have Alex Rickloff? Is that yes. next week? Yes. Okay. Alex Rickloff, who writes unusual, interesting, fascinating books. So we're going to talk to her about bending the genre. Yeah, it should be really interesting. I think it'll be interesting, too. Meredith, thank you as always. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Prue. Bye. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive 
of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week.